Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Sneakers and Cleats, the podcast. Welcome back to the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. This is episode 13. It is Monday, August 7th, flying by this year, 2023. First regular season games coming up this week. We're going to talk about if Dak Prescott and the starters should play in the game against Jacksonville. I think they should. Sneak peek. Spoiler alert here. Meanwhile, the Cowboys are giving a big contract out to a player not named Zach Martin. Plus, we address some of the training camp battles that are taking place uh, in Dallas right now some kicker issues that they got going on, plus a historic college football realignment last week, what that means for the future of college football, and a devastating injury for an AL West contender, and especially devastating for us here in San Antonio uh, when we all come to think about how much we like Josh Young. So quick reminder, you can download, rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Thank you for the support. As always, I am your host, Matt Roy, joined by Chuck Migatinic. Chuck, how was your weekend? It was great, Matthew. How was yours? Lovely. My grandma and my sister are in town this weekend, so taking them around. Went to the Riverwalk on Saturday. Um, what did we do yesterday? Everything's kind of blended together. Went up to La Quintera, had some brunch, you know, just making the rounds. We're going to take them up to the Tower of Americas once we get down here. So, Are they in from California? They are. They are. Nice. My sister lives in uh, L.A., and my grandma lives in Palm Desert, Palm Springs. So actually, I think this is the one place you could have traveled that's cooler than where she lives. <laughs> right. Or that's not it. She thought it was going to be hotter. And so she uh it's like 115 in the desert and she Woo. was she was like we think it's hot here and she was like yeah, this is actually nice. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter, I just picked her up at the airport last night from San Francisco and she said we were wearing jackets at night. It's like, yep, you know the all line. The coldest winter I ever spent was the summer I spent in San Francisco, right? <laughs> All right. Well, Let's get this. Uh, let's get this going here. We got a lot of football to talk, Chuck. As we as as it seems we always do nowadays, which isn't a bad thing. No. So preseason football starting this week. The Cowboys haven't yet said whether they're going to play their starters or not. Where do you where do you stand on the playing people or not playing people in the preseason? Well, especially early on, I think it's an easy call to play all the young guys. You want to see what some of these guys look like in camp, and then what are they going to look like when they actually suit up and have to play against another team. I've kind of flipped on this, Matt, over the years, only because, you know, with how long these seasons have become, or this particular NFL season has become, it's really hard to keep guys healthy in a contact sport. So these games are almost traps for getting guys hurt. So, you know, I know the Cowboys have said, you know, or it's been leaked out that Dak probably won't play during the preseason. I saw the Packers do that with Aaron Rodgers late in his career, maybe give him a series at the end of preseason. But that was always a year-to-year thing. I mean, you cannot afford to lose anybody 
during training camp or during the preseason. So it's a slippery slope. You want them to play because you want the product to look really good early on in the season. But, you know, I think even looking back to last year, things looked a little choppy for a lot of teams early, but it's better to have that, I think, than to have the chance or the greater risk of having somebody go down in preseason. That means a lot to your ball club. For me, it, I kind of waffle in between it really mattering and it not really mattering because you see the success stories like the Rams who don't play anybody in the preseason historically with Sean McVay there and they go on and they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But then you, I always think that it's kind of important, especially when you have a situation like Dak, who has a new play caller. You want to maybe get a few live live bullets, game reps in there, or or uh, the Broncos, for example, who have a new guy in there, new attitude. You kind of want to see what Russ has, or Jordan Love, kind of getting to used to the speed of the game with the Packers. You have kind of situations like that, but like you said, you run the risk of. All those young guys, they're playing at 100 miles an hour because they know this is their life on the line. What The only thing that matters more than practice is live bullets, live game reps, and sometimes not even that. But I, I think personally the Cowboys should play their starters for a couple series, maybe one, maybe two in the first game. Second game, you go maybe a quarter, quarter and a half, and then that's probably it. Well, I mean, there's something to the whole stamina thing, too, right? I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, it's, it, it really is hard for organizations to make these decisions. And then, you know, like even from the fan perspective, I mean, there's a lot of people that go to preseason games because that might be the only affordable ticket that they're able to purchase during the course of an entire year. I know for me and my family, that's what we'd always do. We'd go to a preseason game, whether it's Dallas, Houston, or in Green Bay, just because the price of the tickets were so cheap. And, yeah, you're basically watching a glorified practice. But, again, it's just the whole NFL experience. I don't right. know that you're necessarily looking for, you know, your very favorite guy to go out and shred that day. I mean, I think it's just from a fan perspective, especially if you have kids, it's just kind of fun to be in the ballpark. For me, it's like for players I know from experience, like you don't want to hit your own guys for a month straight. It's nice to be able to go out there and hit somebody else. And even if you do the uh, – the, the conjoined practices that a lot of teams are doing now leading up to that first game, you get a conjoined practice and you get to hit somebody else. You get to play your starters and those kinds of things. And then they don't play in the preseason game, which that makes a little bit more sense. You have more of a controlled environment in those practices. You can have the ones versus the ones you can set up a play script with the other coaches. Like, okay, we're going to run ones versus twos. We're going to do a two minute drill right here. We're going to kind of practice all these situations and you can do that together instead of kind of a less controlled environment as a preseason game is. The bad thing about that, though, is that you don't get the fan experience. You don't get all the people that get to watch. You don't get those real experiences in there. But I always just kind of think, okay, let's play the game. Let's get a couple of series in with our starters. And then let's find out, okay, let's see who the pros are and see who the Joes are on the rest of the team and who's going to make this 53. That's where I kind of I kind of. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're valid points, right? I mean, it's just it's a hard thing to navigate through a course of an NFL season. But, you know, it speaks to why you got to have such a deep roster too cuz guys are going to go down whether it's the preseason or the regular well, season. Well plus we've seen how bad tackling gets in the early on in the season. We've seen last year the last couple of years we've seen how terrible offenses look early on in the season. Like sports books now bake those things into their early season lines knowing that the offenses are probably not going to look great and the defenses are probably going to look fantastic because the offenses just aren't clicking yet they're not clicking on all cylinders unless you're the eagles and the lions from last year in week one when you go 38 35 but i mean 
it's kind of like in def or in uh, in the uh, training camp, and you hear, oh, the defense is really just taking it to the offense right now because you need on offense you need eleven guys clicking in the same direction. On defense, you can have one one pro making a play, and then it blows up the whole thing. So it's just you kind of need those. I, in my opinion, you need the reps. You're right. I mean, that's why baseball does a spring training, right? Because exactly. obviously, first day of sim games or regular exhibition games, the pitchers usually look better than the hitters early Absolutely. on in the year. Absolutely. And one guy we know that's not going to play on Saturday is uh, Zach Martin. Still not with the team. He's now been docked $600,000 as of today, I believe. Um, he's not getting a deal, but someone else on the roster is Malik Hooker is basically getting the same deal as Donovan Wilson got. He's getting a $8 million bonus, three more years, totaling about $24 million. Got the numbers right here, but essentially it's it's incentive-laden, and uh, the 25-26 season, his numbers are a little higher. He's got 5.5 and then $6.5 million, respectively, in the 25-26 years. So his cap number this year, still fairly low. Cap year number next year, still fairly low. However, it, to me, it points to the greater point of – okay, we were going to sign maybe Micah, maybe Dak, maybe CD, and we needed to spread that money around, save it for those guys. Not a fifth-year DB who's on his second team. And yeah, I granted, his third contract. Yeah, with his Cowboys third contract too. with the Cowboys. Granted, has been good, but isn't even a starter. And he's getting a new deal. What does that tell Zach Martin? I don't know what it tells Zach Martin. I'm just really happy for Malik Hooker. I mean, this is a guy that two years ago – completely ruptured his Achilles. So to think that he could come back and do what he's done is really amazing. I mean, he's a really good football player, and obviously he and Dan Quinn go back to their days in Atlanta. So Dan Quinn knows what kind of a guy we're talking about. But it was just interesting listening to Malik Hooker talk about the deal and how genuinely excited he was to be thought of in the regard that the Cowboys regard him as. And then to get the money, obviously, was big. For him, but just the pure joy of being rewarded for what he's been able to do to come back because, you know, it does suck when you've got a really good football player and the game kind of takes some of that out of you because of injury to see this guy respond the way that he has to think that he's going to have a second career now with the Cowboys like this, where they really value him. They're going to put him in the back end. I mean, this is a, uh, I don't know. I just think it's really cool. It's, it's nice to see guys get paid and get taken care of for what they're doing, but also what they think the Cowboys are, are going to, or what they what they think he's going to do for the Cowboys. It is, and and taking just his contract and him in like in a perfect world in a box, not related to anything else with all the other context, like awesome for him. He flailed in Indianapolis. He didn't play well in Indianapolis when he was drafted out of Ohio State. He was there for four years. His fourth year, I believe, he got benched, and he just wasn't playing well. He leaves there. He goes to Dallas. And now he gets paid, and he's playing well, and that's great for him. But it's, in my opinion, it's it's almost bad faith negotiation by Jerry Jones and, and Stephen Jones by saying, okay, now we got to save the money for Parsons, we got to save the money for Dak, we got to save the money for CD, who might be getting a thirty million dollar deal. Zach Martin, we're going to continue to fine you fifty thousand dollars a day while you're not here, and we're still not going to give you any more money. But this third safety, who's not even starting, we're going to give him uh, a little bump as well. So it's just kind of it's kind of a a slap in the face if I was Zach Martin. Well, I think it is, but I think it sounds like, and again, Jerry historically, for the most part, has caved on these deals. But the way you hear Jerry explain it when it comes to this particular player, Zach Martin, it's 
look, he was paid as a first-round pick, paid well. When he got his first big deal, he was paid at the highest rate possible for his position, and now he wants another deal. Well, we didn't set the books up this way to give you another deal. We're happy that you have done very well and done Hall of Fame work under the contract that we signed you to, and at the time we signed it to you was one of the top contracts in the league at his position, if not the top, and now you want another one. Well, at his age, and because the books are laid out for years to come, I just... I'm fascinated to see where this stalemate goes because I think we've talked about it before. It's like, what what are you going to do? Who's going to fold? Is Zach Martin going to come back at some point? But now the fact that these fines keep racking up, I mean, now is he embedded to the point where it's like, look, Jerry, you're either going to trade me or I'm not showing up because I'm not paying all this money back for sitting out when I feel like my market value is this. And so – We'll see where this ends up going. I mean, I don't have any clue how it's going to turn out, but I am deeply fascinated by it. I'm also fascinated by it doesn't seem to be much of a storyline. I mean, this is a Hall, of Fame, a Hall of Fame player that is not reporting, wants a new contract, and I'm just surprised, this being the Dallas Cowboys, that this has not been the level of distraction that I thought it might be. Because they've actually done a decent job at shutting it down. Besides those comments from Jerry, everyone else has said glowing things about Zach, as they should. But their actions say a different, a whole different story than what their words are saying. Their words are like, oh, he's fantastic. We want him here. We want him here. Your actions are not telling me you want him here. Your actions are telling me that he's just an offensive lineman and we can replace him. That's what their actions are saying. But his contract says he's making $13.5 million a year. So again, His contract also says that he's helped them every step of the way. And next year, when they come to him for a renegotiation or restructure it, I'd say, F you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the conundrum, right? Because neither one of us are going to say that Zach Martin's not worth whatever he can get in the open market. Right. The problem is, is that a football team and every team in that league is built around a salary cap. So... The numbers are what they are. Micah Parsons, how much money is that guy going to be worth in order to at keep him? At least $30 million a at, year. Right. He's going to be the highest paid guy at his position, and if he's not, he's going to walk because somebody else will give him that kind of money. So guess who where else, are you going to get all these dollars from? But look who else they're trying to restructure, Dak. There's rumors that he's going to get renegotiating his contract right now to make $50 million so they can bring him back up to market value. Sounds a lot like another situation here. Potentially, but I but think Yes, that, it's a quarterback versus offensive lineman, but... You're right. That there's that. But I think the, the bigger picture is the reason why you extend DAC is that you can lower the cap dollar in the here and the now so that you backload everything or give DAC all his bonuses. And you know he's going to be here. So he gets a lot of his money up front. But again, it's the whole salary cap thing. You're not going to give DAC a long-term deal. You are going to give DAC a long-term deal because you're worried about how you free up some of those dollars that he's making right now and how do you pigeonhole the CDs and the Parsons kicking the, the can down the road 100%, which they've done a great job of doing. But also in the, along that same vein, I guess Zach gave away some of his leverage then because when they came to him to renegotiate this year and say, Hey, we're going to give you your money as a bonus. It's guaranteed. Now here's your, here's your check and we'll lower your cap number. He, he gave away some of his leverage because he should have been like, Right. You guys want to, if you guys want to do that, let's just uh, extend me instead. Right. And again, we don't know the entire picture. Right. I mean, were there promises that the Cowboys made to Zach under the table that like, hey, when we get to this point, we'll change this or we'll do this? You know, we don't know. I mean, I don't think that's the case, but maybe it is. And or maybe this is just a case where 
Zach Martin feels like, hey, I'm getting long in the tooth here. I know what I'm worth in the league. And maybe he's trying to force their hand to do one thing or another. That's why I'm curious to see how it all plays out. But I'm infinitely fascinated every day that this goes on, that there has been no resolution and no talk about a resolution. It's just weird because... So for me, the situation is going to come to a head soon. If you get past, if you get much further, he's going to be fined a million dollars, two million dollars by the start of the season. And I was reading a little earlier: if he misses Saturday's game, he's going to be fined a game check, which, because of the restructuring, is, won't be that much. It's about ninety-four thousand dollars, but still, it's ninety-four thousand dollars. He's not going to be able to get back. It's and when you don't make twenty point five million dollars, this million one point or one or two million dollars, that's like a sixth of your contract. So it's 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 adding up quickly for Zach Martin. It is. That's why I'm curious why nobody has asked anybody on the Cowboys if there's a scenario where at some point do you just say I'm going to make him sit there and be fine for the whole year, but. Do you also have to consider the possibility of trading him and moving him? And what can you get for him? For it, there's a lot when it comes to loyalty. For me, I'm a I'm a very loyal person. Like it's just it it makes sense to pay the people who have helped you and gotten you this far. So it, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth. This whole situation, like Zach Martin, has done everything at every turn to help this team and make them what we think they can be, make them put them where they are right now, and now it just seems like. He's his he's getting spit in his face. It just seemed a little bit like it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth, this whole situation. I mean, I get it. And again, I don't think there's anybody amongst us that doesn't think that Zach Martin's worth what he thinks he's worth because the market says that he is. It's just this whole salary cap thing. And he's already gotten his big, fat second contract. Now there are other guys on this team like C.D. Lamb who is paid way lower than market value. Micah Parsons paid way lower than market value, but that's the terms that the players and the owners collectively bargained, and so they're having to live under these rules. Zach wants his cake and eat it too. He got his second big deal. Great. He's lived up to his contract. He's exceeded his contract. How many guys do that? Not many. That's why I understand his plight in all of this. However, the other side of this is, when it was time to pay you, they paid you. Now you want another one of those deals, and we can't do it because we've got CD and we got Micah. In the beginning of this, we all assumed that this deal was going to get done. He was going to get a couple of thousand dollars, and it was going to be fine, or a couple million dollars. It was going to be fine, and they would just like kick the can down the road a little bit. It's just, it's just starting to get a little uglier than I thought it was going to get. And oh, that's why me it, too. That's I why mean, it's taking me by surprise. But a bit. who amongst us thought that Zach Martin would be this guy? Yeah, Not me. I guess. One guy that we know is that is is a superstar and is going to get paid very very soon, probably a lot a lot a lot of money is Micah Parsons. Um, on Saturday, the Hall of Fame ceremony went on. I love the Hall of Fame ceremony. The speeches always get me. Demarcus Ware's speech was fantastic. I'm so glad he went in. I made a joke on kind of a joke on Twitter about him being remembered as a Bronco and not a Cowboy. So don't don't come at me, everybody. I know he was more of a Cowboy than a Bronco, but he won a Super Bowl with us. So that's right. Um, but they asked Micah about it, like, because he is on that trajectory. He's on that Demarcus Ware, that Bruce Smith, that Reggie White kind of trajectory. So um, he said, his quote was, when you talk about great careers in the Hall of Fame, I don't want to just make the Hall of Fame. I want to be one of the greatest Hall of Famers. Just make the Hall of Fame is is quite the statement. <laughs> you know, like, yes, there's a special room, kind of like there's there's those top-tier Hall of Famers, the John Elways, the Joe Montanas, the Tom Brady's, whenever they get there, the Bruce Smiths, Reggie Whites. 
but just make the Hall of Fame is quite a statement from a third-year player. It is, but I, you know, there's something about this kid that really I appreciate. I mean, he speaks from the heart. He says whatever he says he means. I mean, I don't think he makes stuff up. He's brutally honest. You know, after a tough loss, you go ask how things went. He's going to tell you exactly how they went. He's very mature, and he seems that kind of guy. Like, he's driven enough to actually speak it into existence. I mean, when he says it, I don't hear a lot of people going, this guy's a freaking idiot. I mean, what is he saying? And, well, everybody's going, okay, uh, maybe. I mean, there's a decent chance. And even if he falls short, it's probably be it'll probably be because he's been banged up or, you know, gotten too many injuries. I mean, obviously health plays a factor in everybody's career. But there's just something about when this guy says it, I mean, how can you be against it? <laughs> I think I love – if I was a Cowboys fan, I think I would love it. Like, you just got this guy who's beaming with confidence. All he wants to do is win, and he wants to be the best he can be. And not even the best he can be. He wants to be the best of all time. He wants to catch people like Strayan in the in the record books. He wants to be J.J. Watt's sack totals. He wants to be Von Miller. He wants to be the best active player. He wants to be the best of all time. And it's just like – how the hell did people let him get to 11 is my question. Like, how did he not go first <laughs> coming out of coming out, coming out of Penn State? Yeah, that's always interesting to see what, you know, may or may not fall in your lap on draft day. I don't know. This guy is just a – he's a different cat. You know, I like the fact that he makes no bones about being friends with guys on the Eagles and friends with guys on the Giants. But there's no doubt when you go between the lines that he can put all that set aside or set that stuff aside – and go play ball. And it's the same thing, you know, it's like when you're watching him play as a football player and he's it's just controlled mania. I mean, he's just fun to watch. And then it's always interesting to me, like how can you be so reserved and so thoughtful after a game and just flip the switch like that? I mean, it, I think it speaks to his, intelligent, his intelligence level as well. Yeah, he's just he's just a fascinating individual, and he, yeah. what he's said has endeared himself to media, to fans, because he is so open and honest. He is so great and and candid on social media and with the and with the media. Uh, it's just it's refreshing, but also it's like if I was a Cowboys fan, I would be just beaming with with happiness over Michael Parsons. Amen. I mean, that guy's gonna make everybody around him better. I mean, they're talking about this year even. Leighton Vanderesh rushing the passer now because of all the things that they can do with guys like him on the field. You know, it wouldn't make me beam with happiness if I was a Cowboys fan is their kicking situation. So today it came out, they cut Tristan Viscaino, uh, the guy that they brought in to kind of compete with Maher last year when Maher was, after Maher was the best in the regular season, one of the all-time leading points getters for the Cowboys. Uh, he couldn't kick an extra point last year in the playoffs. Yeah. And then uh, he got cut, and so they had Viscaino and Brandon Aubrey, who hasn't even kicked in the NFL, I don't believe. I think he came in the USFL. They've both been woefully underwhelming this offseason in this training camp. Well, today they cut Tristan, and they're sticking with the young guy, Brandon Aubrey, for now. But either way, I don't know how, you're not, how you can't be worried about the kicking situation for the Cowboys. Well, this is pretty much the same place we were at last year at this time where – you know, it's the old Bill Parcells line. You know, I got to see it at some point, right? Well, they're obviously not seeing it from the guys that they have in camp. 
the thing that's most fascinating to me about this whole kicking situation is, and again, I don't know where these guys are at in terms of their ability to still kick footballs, but how is Mason Crosby still unsigned? How that's is, what I'm talking about. Like, is, and Robbie Gould. Hobby, Robbie Gould. How is that guy not, how are these guys not on teams right now? I mean, Gold's never missed a playoff kick ever in his entire career. You know, maybe Mason Crosby can't make the 60 yarders anymore or the, the, you know, the high fifties, but you know, these guys have been pretty good and have had careers where they've been very clutch. And I don't know. It's just, you just, you have the feeling all along that one of those guys was going to end up in Cowboys gear at some point. It just would be hard for me to believe that this Aubrey guy is, you know, maybe he's a great young kicker, but they're going to, with so many games hinging on kicking, on the kicking game, and how many games are so close, you're going to go into the season with a team that you really like with the kicking question mark as big as it is right now. I, if, if I'm going to go down like that, I'd rather go down with a maybe not as strong a leg Robbie Gold or uh, Mason Crosby than some unknown rookie that's been average at best at training camp. To me, this screams um, we cut one guy to see what the other one could do and like kind of take the pressure off of him. But if you need to do that to get someone like competent in practice, how's he gonna how's he gonna hold up when there's sixty five seventy thousand people yelling at him? Right. It just makes me think about his mental his mental makeup. So today in practice, apparently, Aubrey went uh, seven for nine on his first solo run. He made or he missed forty three yarder right, and he missed a forty four yarder left. It does. It just doesn't give me a lot of confidence. And knowing where the Cowboys were last year, they brought in Maher, and he ended up being great until the postseason. It, it's it's screaming Gold or Crosby on that team. I'm with you. I mean, I, I would have thought this would have happened by now, but obviously the Cowboys know something that we don't about yeah. both of those guys. McCarthy came out in, today in his press conference just about an hour ago, and people asked him about uh, the kicking situation, obviously, because this guy, you know, got cut today. And he said, well, we're going to go with the young guy for now. And then they said, well, can you bring someone in? And he's like, we're always open to bringing people in. You know, the coach speak of yeah. this, the roster's never set. Hmm. We have no idea what we're going to do. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Mason Crosby <laughs> won a lot of ball games for Big you would, Mac. You would know better than most. Yeah. <laughs> so do Cowboy fans. You've probably, you probably yes. watched every kick of Mason Crosby's career. Uh, actually. Pretty close. Pretty close. Like I, <laughs> it was, like I said, the game that I know I never saw was they beat the Jets 9 to nothing, and Crosby had all three field goals. I just thought I'm not going to watch a 9 nothing game. So. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get off the Cowboys talk, and let's get to – what happened on Friday and over the weekend um, as a Pac-12 fan and in Big 12 country is where we are right now. It kind of just made me sad on Friday. Um, you know, AS, Pac-12 is essentially dead. Uh, ASU, U of A, Utah all leaving to go to the Big 12. Oregon and Washington leaving to go to the Big 10. USC, UCLA already left to go to the Big 10. Colorado also going to the Big 12 back to their roots. It just kind of made me sad for a little bit of, about the Pac-12 and the Conference of Champions and the his, history that they all have, all the championships that John Wooden won there. And just, that uh, that conference has been alive for 108 years, and they've been through trials and tribulations, and now the state of college football kills it. It just made me sad. Yeah, I mean, it's kind, kind of the same way I felt with the 
Big 12. It's it, it feels different when you have all these teams coming and going. It just feels like everything's going to be set up for some massive minor league super conference that college football is going to morph into, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I just don't know how you could stop it. And then what does it mean for the Alamo Bowl? I mean, like, do they have to go now get another partner with another conference? Or, you know, is that Super League that we think might be coming? Is that going to, you know, lend itself to, you know, better bowl games? Probably. Well, this leaves but- this just leaves a lot of questions. And I, the one that I can't I don't have an answer to and I don't really know is is it good or bad for college football one and two is it good or bad for the rest of college athletics because now you have let's just say UCLA might have to go to Rutgers and play a Big Ten matchup in softball and the Mizzou coach was dead on that they're not thinking about any college athletes at all they're thinking about the bottom line and their dollars and cents right you're right how did how does this how does this look when it trickles down how does it work because football, as we know, at most schools or most of the big schools, is going to fund the rest of their athletic departments. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, is it, you know, do, do we see the day where college athletics really, really shrinks? You know, I mean, are you going to have these teams, you know, playing for their conferences, or are they all going to be just club sports because the schools can't afford to, to, to pay or to not to pay necessarily, but to, you know have to fund these programs. Like if you got your baseball team that's flying all over the country and you got a program that's losing money, I mean, at what point does this not become cost effective and you got to make a decision? I'll just take football uh, as an example. When I was growing up, I was never a huge college fan. I'm from Palm Desert, California. It's not like we had a close team, you know? I mean, I rooted for USC just because my sister went there, but people always told me that the best thing about college football is that you get so invested because the players are playing for their school. The players are playing for pride. They're not playing for any money. The schools are there and they're trying to, they're trying to do it for the prestige. They're not doing it for like all of the reasons that pros do it for money or for fame or for celebrity or whatever. And it it gets people so invested into their sport and into their school. And it's like that sense of that sense of camaraderie and pride that people have and the fans have that makes college football and college athletics so amazing. It feels so different now than it did when I was a kid. You you sound like the old man. I know. (laughs) What are you doing to me? Yeah, right. (laughs) It is strange to see how this is all changing, right? The transfer portal kids not staying in school to chase the money and again you can't blame them i mean if the market says that you're worth a certain amount of money then who begrudge anybody to say you know go get yours i mean that that's the goal for everybody it's you have to go make a living at some point fortunately for some of these kids that are so talented they can now make really good livings even in college because that's where the money's going the ncaa got what they deserved when it came to the transfer portal they could have given an inch and instead they didn't give anything and so the players took a mile and they let that get to that point this this could have all been regulated and the transfer portal couldn't have been opened and they could have just done this in a safe secure good way instead the player the supreme court stepped in and then the players just basically it's what the wild wild west right well, I mean, some of this, too, is, you know, is it fair that there are rules in place that say that a kid, like if you play college football, you've got to be there for three years? I mean, who is anybody to say that if a kid's ready to go make a living in the pros, that he should have the opportunity to go to the pros? Now, I get it. There are going to be some kids that get tricked into thinking that they're pros and now they can't go back to college. But there's got to be a way you could figure all of this out 
and do a better job than what's going on right now. To your point, it's it really is the wild, wild west. The, with football, the, the that period makes sense. I mean, three years, you let your body develop, let's figure out the game. I mean, so maybe guys like Derrick Henry can go straight right. in, you know, those freaks. But, but Yeah, so if you're Derrick Henry and you can do that, why should there be rules in place that prohibit you from doing that? It seems infinitely un-American to me that you would stop a guy from going and making money. And you're putting roadblocks up if he can go do it. I'm not yeah. saying everybody can, but why are there rules in place like that? So, you know, at some point somebody's going to file a lawsuit, and then it'll really be crazy. <laughs> to get to yeah, to get to the larger point of, of the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, and the SEC now pretty much dominating everything, especially amid the uncertainty with Florida State and the ACC. I don't know where this leaves college athletics, but I refuse to think that it's a inherently good thing when a, a, a conference that is so storied and, and now only has four teams in it that no, have no idea what the hell they're going to do. I heard something on ESPN this morning that if Stanford doesn't get a conference soon, they might have to disband their athletics as a whole. And I was just like, that's upsetting and depressing for right. for somewhere as, as storied and historic as Stanford, somewhere that developed Tiger Woods and Andrew Luck and Christian McCaffrey, and I can go on and on. It's it just makes this whole thing doesn't doesn't sit right with me at all. I mean, and that's not even because I'm an ASU fan. I mean, because ASU luckily, thankfully, wasn't left holding the bag, and I really thought that Michael Crow was going to crap the bed on that, but he didn't. But I don't know. There's something about the entire situation that just doesn't sit right. I agree. It, it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out, right? And you know, it's you're going to have the haves and the have nots here pretty quickly. Yeah. And I hope, I just hope that next year when all this stuff happens, that softball, baseball, all these volleyball, water polo, you know, all the sports that don't make a lot of money, but still gives contract contracts. I almost said contracts, give scholarships, which basically are a contract, give you scholarships and it gives you the opportunity to go get your education that those kids aren't left now holding the bag and that people aren't getting mad at them. Like, Oh, I, you missed class today? F. Now they're failing out of school because they had a game in Rutgers and they go to UCLA or whatever the case may be. It's just I hope that they aren't left in the dust and because we're all trying to monetize college football. So let's get to the last thing here. Um, very sad moment yesterday when Josh Young um, broke, his, broke his thumb. Somehow completed the the uh, double play, which is great on him. But he's probably out at least six to eight weeks. I would I would assume. Uh, we don't know exactly how bad his thumb is yet. But the, as the Rangers just go ahead and I think they swept the Marlins. They I think they lost more than they won in that series. They did. I mean, they've won six in a row. Everything's going great, and then you have something like this happen. Yeah, you're right. We don't know how long he's going to be out. I mean, typically it takes at least six weeks for a bone to heal. However. You know, because we haven't really heard what the Rangers have said on all this. I mean, there are ways you can play if you break your bone the right way, especially on a thumb. I mean, Favre did it on his throwing hand. Um, you know, when I hate to tell war stories, but I once upon a time broke my thumb at the tip of my thumb to the base of the first word. Digit. What do you call it? It's not the not to the base of the joint, but where your thumb bends, mm -hmm. I split it right down the middle. Ugh. And there was nothing that you could really do for it except tape it up. And so, you know, hopefully maybe that's the kind of break he got. Maybe his thumb was at an angle where 
the force of the break happened at the tip of the thumb as opposed to in a place where it got him really good. But again, I don't know because I've looked at that video a thousand times and he and his teammates are looking at the hand and none of them seem too thrilled with what they were looking at. So <laughs> hopefully it's not bad. And if it is, obviously it's a huge loss for not only Josh, but especially the Rangers. I mean, you've got an all-star caliber third baseman who's not only swinging it, but you know, is amongst the best at his position defensively. And you know, like you said, I mean, dude turned to double play even after breaking his thumb. So it would be a huge blow, but Again, I don't think it's, you know, I think because of where it's at, it's not his throwing hand. It's, you know, might be a little uncomfortable when he's swinging a bat. But, you know, I think there's ways you could probably make this work. And let's hope that it's a little on the shorter end of the spectrum than it is the, lo the longer term. Yeah, and they built their lead to, I think, three games now over the Astros. But now they're out Jonah Heim. They're out Josh Young. And while they got some reinforcements at the trade deadline, it's just it's giving that it's giving you a bad feeling when it comes to injuries now that they were so healthy coming in, in the first half of the season, besides Corey Seager and Jacob deGrom, obviously. And now they're they're have to deal with a third their all-star third baseman that's out. This is the beautiful thing about playing 162 games because it truly does separate the good teams from the bad teams. I mean, every team starts the season usually and they're all healthy, you've got good players everywhere, and then it's which team has got the best guys on the bench, the deepest pitching staff, and then what does their minor league system look like? And then obviously you can fill in with trades. But this is what we're going to find out about the Rangers. I mean, if you can overcome some of this stuff and then get there, it's going to really galvanize you when you get to the postseason. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch this go down the the home stretch. Just the first thing I saw, I wasn't even really watching yesterday because I was out with my with my family who's visiting, but I saw like a, a notification come across my phone that Josh Young broke his thumb, and I was like, "Damn it!" Right. Like, he was having such a great rookie year, and I I would hate for this to to uh, derail his AL Rookie of the Year voting. Yeah, that's gonna work one of two ways, right? It will because if he's out any length of time, you know, maybe somebody sneaks up and gets him. But if the Rangers don't close this out now. He's going to get a lot of love like, well, you know, look what their record was when he went down. And so, you know, he may have already built up enough equity, even with the injury, yeah. to to get the award. But, you know, it's just a funny thing to watch these baseball seasons unfold, right? I mean, look at the Astros. I mean, nobody's crying them a river. And they've had every injury known to man, even with their, some of their top prospects like Forrest Whitley in the minor league. So, you know, they've somehow managed to cobble this thing together and put themselves at least in a position to make a run here in the last two months. So that's where you see which teams are really, really good and which are the teams that have just kind of gotten lucky. Yeah. It, I don't know. I, the AL Rookie of the Year race is going to be fascinating, especially now because Masataki Yoshida is right behind him and you have the Boston machine who who's going to vote for him. I mean, that's one of the nation's brands is the Red Sox. And so if he's out for any significant amount of time and the, and the Rangers keep swinging like they have been all season – I think he might get caught, and I, I would hate for him to lose the the award that he's had in the bag basically since opening day. I would hate for him to lose it in August just because of an injury, you know? I'm with you. I'm, I'm just, you know, keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Uh, last thing, I didn't have it on the rundown, but if I saw it uh, today, or I saw it last week, I figured I'd ask you about it. There's a Johnny Manziel uh, Netflix documentary coming out. Are you going to watch it? <sighs> Comes out tomorrow. Probably not. Just wondering because he's a you know he's a Kerrville guy so he's right. around, he's around us. No, I know. I mean, we, you know, we followed that whole trajectory. I mean, might still have a very fond memory of Jack Green coming back <laughs> after Johnny's. It was 
training camp as a sophomore and coming back going, I've seen the next dude, and his name is Johnny Manziel. And we're like, who? What? What are you talking about? And <laughs> yeah, he called a shot. So uh, you know, there, th- I guess there would be like morbid curiosity on some of this. But again, I don't really trust a lot of these machines that are behind when I see documentaries coming out. And because you don't know who really has the say on that. Who, where is the voice coming from? Is the story being told truthfully? You know, You're always a skeptic. I am <laughs> because it's, especially if I like I watched it and I saw it and I followed it and I covered it. It's, you know, you have a, a really talented player and, you know, unfortunately a lot of his demons caught up to him and, you know, but there's uh, you know, I get plenty of stories about that guy. I mean, there's a guy that played in the NFL whose son played with Johnny in at, at Tyvee and he was an NFL tight end. And he said, I saw Johnny make three bad passes his entire high school career. I mean, this is what you were looking at when it was going on. It was a little odd that there wasn't a lot of teams that were after him, college teams. And then, you know, once Oregon offered him, then, you know, then the A&Ms get involved in all that. But initially there wasn't a lot of juice behind getting Johnny to play at the college level. And then obviously once he got to A&M, he showed everybody there too. Yeah. Sadly, this documentary is going to be more about his off-the-field issues than his on-the-field issues. intensity and and how good he was in high school and in college because obviously he didn't work out in the pros because both are correlated with how he was off the field and how he ended up uh now with his career over in the nfl i'm gonna watch just because i'm i'm so interested in those kinds of things um i will not be watching the jake paul one that just came out because i don't care about jake paul and think that it's stupid but just like i didn't watch that in the name he does keep winning i don't know how I mean, apparently he's really good. My sister, I found out, is in love with him. So, uh, Well, he is a nice-looking man. He is, he is a nice-looking guy. All right, I, I will say this about Johnny. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it's a cautionary tale for everybody, right? It's like when you get to the NFL, everybody's got talent. Everybody was the best at their school, the best in their league, the best, the best, the best, the best. It's how much time and effort are you going to put in to give yourself a chance to thrive at the NFL level. And there's no guarantees, even with the hard work. So if you're not putting in the work, and especially at that position, you literally have no chance to succeed because there's so many other guys that maybe not as talented as Johnny infinitely was, you just, you're not going to give yourself a chance to succeed. And even if you do give yourself a chance to succeed by working hard, doing all the right things, and then trying to you know, be at that position to galvanize a locker room. If you don't give yourself those things that you can control, it's really hard to make it in the NFL. It's just, it's just a shame to see wasted talent not fulfilled. I've quickly realized in these, this last like month and a half, two months that we've been doing the podcast, I'm really bad at ending it because I just want to keep talking to you, Chuck. Um, so we'll just go ahead and end it now before I talk for another hour. So that's it. A quick reminder, you can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast. And on YouTube, YouTube version has video elements and sound bites. Uh, we didn't have sound bites today, but there will be other stuff on there. So uh, please download, subscribe, rate, review, give us a five-star rating, give us some feedback. Feedback is a gift. We will be back later this week. Uh, I'm not sure which day, but it will drop and give you a notification when you subscribe. So do that, and you'll find out when we come. Uh, we will be back here on the Sneakers and Cleats podcast later this week. See you then. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.